0: So the the nature of experience that's occurring for us is is, uh, uh, you might roughly say approximately something like phenomena which are thoughts, impressions, sensations and of course states of mind or states of heart is more accurate and there are what we might call noumena which are those which Handle these objects, these states, these sensations. So mindfulness is one of these noumena or constructions or that attend. So we might say, for example, you know, such a thing as a sound, and there's also attention to a sound. You know, attention is not a state of mind, it's a particular activity of mind. To give attention to a phenomenon you might have attention to uh, a mood your attention is focused on that this means that there's a certain gathering of the mind around or attention around a particular experience and that attention could have a narrow focus or a wide focus it could also have a quality, it could be an uh, attention that's marked with um, apprehension, nervous attention, fearful attention, it could be uh, inquiring, what's this all this about, looking into it like that. It could have a sense of trying to control things, a certain controlling kind of attention. So there are certain... Disposition that can accompany attention. Mindfulness is a, a kind of attention whose disposition is to um, bear in mind. It's literally the property, the ability to bear something in mind, to stay with it its fundamental uh, inclination is to stay with an experience not to jump on the next thing not to um, fret with it not to say and then what but just stay with it gives it experience so this is um, a particular kind of attention Uh, it stays with an experience um, sound, sight, memory, idea and so forth and it's as it lingers with it, with experience it's also certain how able to acknowledge the effects that a thought is having on the heart and it stirs us or so it's quite a deep kind of attention which is made deep by its lingering property because it's not in a hurry to get to the next thing it doesn't have a particular angle so it's quite open in many ways it's open holding it it allows the ability for reflection which is how is this affecting what's this doing It doesn't really stand alone. It's often associated with another quality called full knowing or Sampajanya, Sampajanya, fully realizing. Which is more to do with that ability for reflection that occurs if we are mind, if there is mindfulness. Mindfulness links with something, doesn't agitate, it doesn't distract. It doesn't have an agenda, it doesn't say, well, what next or why is this? It just stays with it, deepening into the experience. And this allows a quality called full knowing. You really get it. Oh, it's like this. So, it's mindfulness is sometimes conjoined as sati sampa janya, mindfulness and, and full knowing. It's generally preceded by another quality called uh, appropriate attention which means that uh, we mindfulness is established around something that's worthwhile so it's not obsessive and it's also it's not you have such a thing as wrong mindfulness which is when you're establishing mindfulness upon a theme that it's not useful, suitable um, such as you know, bearing in mind you become obsessed with grudges you could say you're bearing it in mind but actually it's obsessed with grudges so there isn't that sense of uh, uh, openness to it it's got a certain it's it's uh, wrongly established so mindfulness um as a training in the whole process of mind cultivation so it's only one aspect of it Um, so you can't really cut it out and say that's it that's all i need to do it's one aspect of it And it's um, based upon such a, a kind of understanding that uh, what we give attention to affects us so what's appropriate to give attention to and the buddha is saying well in all this um, you need to establish it around four particular bases since so you just keep Within these bases, if you fo- if you focus in this particular way, then you get good results. Bases are phenomena that arise in terms of body. This is a first establishment where mindfulness should be established because this uh, brings us into touch with. Uh, a uh, nervous system, agitated, uh, confused, If you can feel these imbalances in your body. So sort of establishing mindfulness in your body, you begin to replace jittery attention, nervous reflexes, compulsive reactions with something that's just steady and open. And some of these bodily reflexes can begin to ease up. The second place you establish mindfulness, or in line with that, is you become very much more aware of the feeling. What one, the feeling, the the feeling sense. Yeah. Uh, so, it's placed in that way that mindfulness of the body acts as a kind of a gateway because bodies feel. And, uh, the uh, energetic body, or the body as a body in itself—not, in other words, not we des- way we describe it through our uh, ideas, you know, definitions, man, woman, six foot tall, you know, whatever—but or through our visual sense, you know, brown eyes, painted fingernails, whatever. It's not, not that. It's called the body in and of itself. Directly, the body in and of itself. So, how does a body know it's a body? How is a body in and of itself? Yeah. It's not the thing that's that. See with your eyes. That's not. That's a visual body. Yeah. And clearly, the body itself doesn't experience these these things. The eye experiences it, but the body doesn't. What does the body experience? Experiences sensations, right? Pressures. Experiences heat and cold. Experiences vibration, impulse, flushing energies, uh, and so forth. That's that's the body's body. Yeah? The body is a living subject. So what we notice within that is the quality of agreeable, or disagreeable is a big feature of what arouses, pushes this bodily experience around pain it retracts from, pleasure it reaches out for yeah. sometimes the retract is just the kind of slightly inching away sometimes extremely defensive, tightening up, uh, sinking so we get the sense of this, how this feeling base occurs We'll probably notice also, rather surprisingly, but obviously, that uh, feelings that are not based upon the body, like not based upon touch, uh, but really based upon memories and thoughts, can also have a bodily effect. We can feel something shimmer when we feel saddened or defended. The body so we can experience this very mind in the body the the mental feeling can be experienced in the body as fear or rage, obviously you can feel those things moving around so he says, well then you just place your mindfulness on that so instead of uh, what it does is this is a feeling Feelings feel like this. They do this. They rush. They rise. They suffuse. They tingle. They push you. They push. They pull. But actually, what do they do? They sort of swirl around and change into something else. They're moving. They're mobile things. Feeling. And um, this kind of way of, of handling a sense of identity is not being reiterated feeling feels it's not really my feeling or it's just the feeling doing its thing this is when you get when you really establish your mindfulness around that noticing how feeling is you begin to see what shapes the mind the mind can be extremely contracted under the effect of ill will or negativity when unpleasant feeling happens to it it it's riled up It can be extremely um, driven when pleasant feeling occurs and as you staying attentive awareness of that, mind can also calm down We um, experience quite open states of mind or uh, bright states of mind, all this is mind and you feel this through this process of mindfulness established it on that and you can also notice as you're mindful of mind the various qualities such as ill will or kindness such as uh, dullness and and lethargy or brightness and energy you can notice these qualities that shape and affect the mind and so just sustaining mindfulness on these this is purposeful because in that what one is what's occurring or what's not occurring is this active this process of identifying with it and says so this is extremely significant even though we might not on paper seem that's very significant at all whether the pleasant feeling is mine or not doesn't seem to matter really it's there it is it's occurring <laughs> But. Uh, He said, well, actually, within all that, there's a particular, uh, another uh, function that occurs, which is a certain grabbing hold of. Grabbing hold in order to push it away, or grabbing hold of it to get more of it. So that grabbing hold is the bit that mindfulness can deal with. Because mindfulness doesn't grab hold. Because when there's grabbing hold, then what occurs is, I, this is happening to me when there's no grabbing hold, it just it's happening and the process is quite a change of perspective dispassion occurs and compassion occurs one can begin to relate and respond to these qualities rather than feel pinned or obsessed or identified with them so this is what mindfulness is about And it's considered in you know, like you're mindfully walking it means you're aware of a body walking along and the various sensations and energies and experiences that make up that little packet, yeah. You might say if you really look into it, what is walking? You know, we all know the idea, but you try and nail it down to what that experience is it's just the shifting of sensations a certain fluidity of mobilities that are occurring there's a whole strands of experience being woven together by the body and uh, you know, in fact walking isn't any one of them It's it's the combining of all these different pressures and intelligences and responses that occur uh, you know, Oh, there's walking, and walking doesn't, walking doesn't go anywhere. Walking walks. Yeah. It walks. So, but as soon as you introduce the idea, I'm walking to the kitchen, then you add the mind adds something to it, and walking to the kitchen is suffering, from Buddhist point of view. Not because you've got anything unpleasant there, or, but just the fact that as soon as you're doing that's occurring, then there's a sense of, oh, i get to the kitchen, this and then that, maybe this and then that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to go to the kitchen now, is it what time is it? And then this, this dislocated mental activity starts building up. We we lose uh, that grounded, rather lovely experience of ease, which could be there when walking to the kitchen. When you walk to the kitchen, you just have to think, walk to the kitchen, point yourself in that direction, and it will happen. (laughs) Keep going. And just then let the mind. You know, put that thought aside and focus on that experience. It becomes extremely uh, open, agreeable way to do a simple activity like that, yeah. rather than the habit of walking in the kitchen, thinking what going can do there, 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 what's he doing? He remember this, that, and the other, whereby uh, you know what where what's happening is <laughs> kind of slightly, you know. virtual reality of uh, uh, mental phenomena cascading around. But if we're mindful then there's the possibility of just not adding more to the experience than is ordinarily just presented through the body through feeling through the mind itself. How much concentration is needed for investigation? What is investigation in Buddhism? (laughs) Mm. Investigation is um, Mm -hmm. reflective Uh, quality, reflective means something's happening, what's that about, how's that affecting me where does it come from, is it useful or not so it's called investigation, loosely speaking Mm -hmm. Uh, this is one of the aspects of investigation it's just uh, something's happening is arisen what's going on how, what's the mood with that yeah. So thought is the thought associated with agitation or goodwill so that means we're deepening into you know what accompanies or such a thing as a thought what kind of emotional psychologies or moods accompany a thought that's a useful form of investigation because you see then you're able to notice what that one needs to be just relaxed doesn't it that one is no use irrelevant so you're skimming off irrelevant or or unskillful qualities this means investigation now it's not really an intellectual analysis of why am I like this or uh, What should I do about this? Uh, it's not Intellectual it's more direct than that in Buddhism. It's direct So what's direct mean it means? Uh, this particular property this particular experience this thought this mood. What is it made of? Yeah. What actually can be sensed in this, yeah. Not where did it come from, where's it going, but what is in this? Yeah. Feels good. Doesn't feel good. It is having a saddening effect or a brightening effect? Are we really getting a feeling for the nature of qualities? We might also notice that qualities themselves have a tendency to be pulsing or flowing. Thought itself. You can't, you can't hold a thought still. It always pops along. If you're trying to hold a thought still, the thought begins to become meaningless and loses its quality. You have to keep reiterating it because it disappears. And you've got to bring it back again. So we also notice this, how changeable and how ephemeral Uh, phenomena even though they may repeat they're actually like repeated fluctuations of energy this is a kind of investigation Mm. we might notice also that not so much why but how you know with that particular site this jumps up for Seeing that person, this, this jumps up, how this mental state arises, uh, because of her, no, it's not because of her, it's because of some perception that occurs when I see her, I feel, oh, gladdened, because I interpret her as a friend or, you know, something like that. A gladdened experience, so that's not really her, that's my perception. Or a perception that arises, triggers this particular mood. Of course, it could be of another nature, couldn't it? it could be. Well, I feel a bit nervous about her. Don't feel very comfortable with her perceptions. So we start to investigate the various properties that are there in this causative process that uh, uh, gives experience its, its kind of intimate and even intrusive quality yeah. things get to us things touch us things stir around us touch the heart so we should know how is the heart touched mm. now that's a quality of investigation now also we might begin if we're beginning to really look into this whole area we might notice that perception of her is a flash now just wait don't follow it don't add anything to it notice it just uh, trembles and passes through look again how is that it's just that. So I'm not compelled to react in any particular way to that. So the sense of dispassion and detachment can occur through noticing the changeable, ephemeral, uh, causative nature of experience. And then we, instead of Locking into a series of responses and reactions, we just disengage—not from aversion, but just to understand. They do this. If I engage, if there is an engagement with it, this occurs, depending on the nature of the engagement. If I engage with a uh, what we once call an unskillful attitude, then these are the pheno- this, this leads to this trait. This tra- this uh, series of moods and mind states unskillful attitudes, hostility, fear, worry, regret, doubt grudge, misery and so forth Mm. skillful attitudes, spaciousness uh, kindness, compassion, clarity, restraint, respect different results Mm. with that I can begin to get some sense of what right here in my heart generates stress and suffering, and what doesn't? So this is really the whole point of the investigation. It's not, you know, it's not objective, it's not like forming an interesting diagram. It's actually a, an investigation of what enables you to stop suffering, the heart to get out of stress and suffering the various terms associated with this one is, of course is investigation can be most often the word dhamma vijaya means handling qualities you know discursively uh, no, no, sort of handling qualities sensing them getting a feeling from them, exploring the qualities that occur in the mind but uh, there was also deep attention which did det- determines is this worthy of looking at or is it just you know distracting Um, it helps to set things up properly and with deep attention we begin to sense well it's not who, who am I or where am I going but a sense of uncertainty it gets to the point it cuts through the superficiality into what's really stirring the heart so instead of what am I doing tomorrow what's that this is some agitation here then we know what to deal with or maybe we're excited there's no blame in that it's just to know really what's going on Uh, very often we kind of think we know what's going on but we call it he and them and that and the world out there and should be and could be and might be but really a process of deep attention "What so right here there's a feeling of uncertainty or apprehension or really getting in touch with the qualities that are stirring the heart <clears throat> and that the focus of Buddhist mind cultivation is towards understanding the arising of suffering stress, pressure compulsion obligation feeling overwhelmed and the diminution and removal of that so that's the investigative thrust is that towards that how much concentration do you need depends what you're really investigating doesn't it mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. concentration mindfulness you need mm-hmm. to stay with something so you can Track it. Yeah. And also, as I say, deep attention. So you're not adding more to it than you really need. And clearing away. And the message is about clearing, clearing, clearing to space. Let's get that. All the histories and the. the, the, the. No, this one. So <laughs> You know, the process of uh, you could call it—it's not concentration in terms of riveting your attention down. It's mostly concentration. Just get to the point. Stop. Just don't bother with that. Get to the point. So it's that kind of quality of concentration, focusing. Person mentions that. um seem to have said that though I don't recall it myself but uh, after Qigong we might experience a fluttery meditation. Um, yeah I mean I, what I would say is that uh, when you're practicing Qigong you're moving energies around and it means that things can feel a little bit um, unsettled so it's good to sit settle everything so that the energies that you've uh, freed up uh, have a chance to just find their place to settle down so we just sit quietly and let things find their place sometimes you feel completely wiped out you just want to lie down <laughs> because you've moved a lot of things around and so it's like that So the person is curious because they sense that discharge of energy. But a particular phenomena occur in this person's meditation mind was thoughts and images arising unlike anything I've experienced during meditation. Disjointed scenarios, figures, thoughts, jarring, not familiar to me. Most enduring my mind is a skull-like face which emerged out of the distance and stayed looking at me with one eye open. So, it sounds like normal to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what the mind comes up with is is really uh, it's like a paint box. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a you know, uh, like somebody sitting behind a control panel of a whole video and just start pushing buttons and these images start flying, flaring up because, uh, you know, there's lots of, there's the imaging level of the mind where we had dreams come from, you yeah. our dreams come from this imaging place in the mind which is like the paint box, you yeah. know, where we get artistic ideas or very creative, the imaging place of the mind. Now, that is also uh, uh, subject to energy. So, if energy is stirred, shaken, you might get disjointed, strange images that really are just like shaking, shaking up the bottom, the, the base of your. The paint box of the mind these different images can come out some of them might be associated with just um, you know uncertainty what's going on disorientation but i wouldn't give them any particular credence or value other than just to ideally just let them pass can you explain death? And the afterlife? Not really. Um, death, tissue death. It's just because, um, yeah, seems to be the nature of organisms. I mean, and the tissues are bound together for a while. And the energy passes through them, and the tissues are subject to deterioration, and then the energy leaves them because they can no longer sustain energy and keep being regenerated. So that's what normally tissues are constantly being regenerate, regenerated, because the life force energy is running through them, and what so we recognise is that a life force. Diminishes, 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 and the tissues can no longer regenerate. At a certain point, the whole thing breaks down, and that's what really we call death. Now, what happens to the mind? We might say, look on "Those big questions," and then wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> but uh, we could go through some guessing what happens to your mind when you go to sleep yeah. so you, yeah. uh, images move around shifting images move around yeah. Yeah. so uh, yeah. In uh, the Buddha's insights, his particular meditation and depth of of realization began to uh, acknowledge uh, a certain sequence, um, uh, what he called rebirth. Of course, a lot of good amount of Dhamma practitioners dismiss or think is irrelevant or think the Buddha didn't even teach it. But he seems—it seems to be a very recurrent, recurrent theme. He alludes to. Um, I don't know if you've had the experience of, uh, you know, listening to your own mind and recognizing. Oh, that attitude—that's my, my goodness, my mother had that. You know, I sometimes get recognised particular mood nuances that, that I re- oh yeah. That's, that's I could get a I noticed that that voice, that sound, which I seem to be mine, and yet it's something I've kind of inherited from my mother, or particular tonalities that are like my father. Yeah. So I might say just as we, although we may not agree with rebirth, we do believe in genetic inheritance, that even though all of us carry the genes from our parents and so on and so on and so on, all the way back to, you know, million, you know where does it start? You know, keep pushing it back, you know, these kind of pre-early hominids and then Kind of apes turning into hominids and then monkeys th- where do you trace it back you know where do did, where did we where did this thing begin you know there's, there's a sequence of genetic sequence that goes on and on and on we don't seem to dispute that in terms of uh tissues and i uh, my uh, uh sense is that the Buddha could see that in terms of mind also that these mental processes have a continuum that is transmitted and carried on and uh, after this body passes away that continues or oh, the main springs of that the main elements of that now the um, just for your information the, the Buddha's apparently in his great um, three great visions or knowledges or realizations he had that were, uh, uh, which were called his awakening experience, was first of all, this was the first knowledge. His sense of recognizing this current mindset process thing, you know, that's really like a wave that's been carried on. And he could look back, or however you call it, to, you know, the various waves. That had produced that through previous lives. So I said, My goodness, all this has been, this that I appear to be is really just the latest wave coming in from this rippling effect of many, many lives. So that was his apparently first realization, which I think. So then maybe that puts things in some perspective why or how we're like this. What we've inherited, what, co- what causal qualities we inherited. Once you begin to get a sense of the causal field, the energetic field, then you're no longer so bound up in materiality being a finite lump. You know, which what, what your eyes tell you, you're a finite lump. But what you term, terms terms your energies don't give you that message at all. It's a, you're a constant pulsing vibrating continuum that's being affected and trembles and that's much more accurate you can't really find a beginning to it it's not separate everything is flowing through that your whole experience is on traveling around on, on that net yeah so you know there generally gets much of a time thing with that when a memory occurs to you that's it's now, isn't it? Mm. So just reading that that net and all these various signals that are tr- rushing across it and trembling through it. They mm. say, well, actually, the particular trajectories that are occurring from that, and they they will keep travelling on along this network, just keeps going. So there will be a future life, you could say, or a future arising. And the whole thing moving on. He said the particular directions that it goes in is in accordance with the ethical trajectories that have been picked up and accumulated. So, it says, you know, if the ethical qualities... Have been gathered up that are to do with harming, violence, uh, deceit, greed, passion—all you know, the bad stuff, if you like. Then they send this shock wave, so that the birth occurs in that direction. So now, if you've had uh, energies that are associated with a generosity, mutual respect. Honesty, non violence, then that particular ripple goes that way. (laughs) So it's called, you know, know, so you get kind of good and bad karma. This was the the understanding of karma. And he said, either just keep, whoa, he goes on and on as far as you know, you just don't see an end to it. You don't see a beginning of it. Some places are pretty good, some places are awful. That that you know one that the this uh, continuum can extend to. Um, but one particular feature of all this is that as this process is going on, there's also something that kind of you know um, collects it, um, locates it. Uh, identifies with it. There's a certain you know, consolidation of these things, a certain gathering together, uh, which is the foundation of identity. And this itself means that the awareness, the heart, is then bound into this particular web of causes, good or bad. But through but he said through proper cultivation and training the heart can release that fascination, uh, conviction, identification with these forces and a sense of release can occur. So this is the third realization which was his vision of awakening, enlightenment. Um, There's just some reflections and thoughts. This is... You know, trying to present in a way that you might find interesting the, some of the main themes that the Buddha presented in this rather mysterious topic of you know death and life, afterlife, rebirth and what's all that about um, and we will find out, I'm sure in due course so, you got it wrong <laughs> 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 So another topic here, how does one deal with a heart that is too open and vulnerable? Well, well that experience means perhaps that one feels flooded or overwhelmed, uh, uh, say emotionally uh, flooded by contact impressions. So there are two, um, well a few considerations, one is to, if one is that sense of open vulnerability you should be fairly attentive to what you give attention to, a certain sense of like a certain filtering, of, you know, what you give attention to, uh, and also that you um, don't go into things uh, that uh, if you don't need to. Sense of restraint, and then a certain sense of disengagement. So you kind of get don't get too drawn in to experience, if you like that. That's the other um, recommendation: is strengthening the heart. Which is probably you know, so sort of detachment is only uh, like helpful, but it's not a, not a solution. because for sure, you know you're open and vulnerable to your own thoughts and memories. and it's very difficult to get some space around those. that requires quite some considerable training. Um, and the training in getting some space around one's memories and thoughts and emotions. Uh, it is is will strengthen the heart. Mm. So the ability to um, disengage, the ability to uh, be mindful—that is not reactive, not adding more—we get overwhelmed because what occurs is initial oppression is followed by another impression, followed by another impression, followed by another impression and things melt up if we are able to be mindful then the impression is held steadily allowed to pass through it's also as a pragmatic tip to be aware of your body Um, often the uh, you know when we get into strong emotions we become almost disembodied which is all our experience is just of this flushing flowing evocative uh, stimulating mental heart experience and people by and large need the grounding effect of the body so the grounding effect of the body is like well where are you right now I think, yeah, but where are you right now? Where's your feet now? Where's your back now? Where's your shoulders now? So you just keep turning to how your bodily energy is being affected by these emotions. And this kind of takes you away from the real edge of the the contact impression, that, that sense of being flooded, because now you have something... Can discharge that flooding effect can meet that wave and because the body can be steadied it takes that wave of energy and discharges it through the body's energetic system so once we really get this sense of the uh, as I've said before maybe slightly mysterious the energetic basis of body and heart and thought, rather than the particular topics they bring up, or even whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. But certainly the topics they bring up, and the the self that gets born in them, like I am being, you know, teased, or I am being uh, looked down upon, or something. You know, well, wait a minute. Let's just get back to the the feeling of being. Stirred, and then, and then and stirred is a movement, isn't it? Something's is shaking. So we come to there's an energy there. You know? Is it possible to get that sort of agitating energy? And, you know, wait, wait a minute. What, where is that? Well, it kind of feels like it's in my face and skin and in my belly. And well, just keep winding your attention. See if you can feel what's happening. in Your shoulders, your back, your feet, your legs. And, Mm. That just limits it. you know, no longer flooded by it. You've got something that will ground that that uh, experience. That's where you're, you're discharging some of the excessive energies that can occur that the heart can't cope with. Mm can't cope with say grief or fear or something like that just flood you know we, if the, we have a way of discharging the energy of that then certainly grief is not an enjoyable experience but at least we can kind of stay with it and not be overwhelmed by it and then say okay let's look at that clearly you know what's happening here and Know, that which I wished for has been taken away from me. That warmth has been taken away from me. Oh, difficult. Well, let's just respond with some kindness and compassion. It's a possibility for the heart itself, when it's being held steadily by the body, the heart itself can draw from its innate resources. If it's not steady, it loses touch with its resources but you know we have a, a, a amazing hearts We should be patient, resilient, uh, equanimous, uh, appreciative, compassionate and so forth these are all heart qualities if the heart is held steady they will come up you know it's like these are the angels that come up from the, from the heart when it's held steady uh, and we do. It's, hell we, it's amazing how we can come through some pretty stirring and um, uh, um, experiences, you know, bereavement and uh, uh, horrible things that people can come through. And generally, people who come through that come through because they've got a strong, often a strong spiritual base. They, they really have you know developed a sense of, uh, of love or faith or generosity or you know that the heart is established in so the heart is quite strong unfortunately you know I say but uh, the induction into materialism that human beings are, are you know Encouraged to to participate in uh, weakens the heart because it takes us away from our depths. It takes us into superficial, you know, stuff. It doesn't call from the depth of the heart. So energy that part of our hearts doesn't get energized. If, like any other experience including the body, if energy doesn't flow through it it starts to die out and that's the same for your body and your muscles yeah. similarly with the heart if energy doesn't flow through it in terms of you know spiritual qualities those qualities begin to fade out and a sense of uh, uh, compassion or forgiveness or generosity or kindness <coughs> so we need to keep those qualities very much uh, activated and, and uh, if we look at life steadily, without shaking, you see there's plenty of need to produce those qualities. Yeah. We look at it steadily without shaking and blaming and you know running away and shouldn't be this way to look at it steadily you know those qualities must arise because you know <laughs> look at what's going on. So that's the benefit of uh, of uh, healing and strengthening and and uh, fortifying the heart. It's worth definitely essential because if that's not occurring, your life will be stolen from you. Be stolen from you. So restrain attention. Learn to moderate what you take in, what you're experiencing. Stabilize your heart by the presence of your body. And then begin to look at that more clearly until a proper response can come up. Then even difficult things are actually, I don't like to say this, they're not good for you. But they, they are, because they, they demand that you, you've got to come up and bear with something, you know. And that's strengthening. You know, if we just keep bouncing off each other, and, well, I don't like that, I don't like it. You know, no, I've got to be with things I didn't really agree with. It's okay. You know, I can let go of that. It strengthens the heart. And uh, so that's. then you never regret that, really. Okay. Thank you very much for your questions and um, themes and I'll pause there for tonight